Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You see, all of mankind is made for relationship with the Lord. That's what we were created for. That's what we were designed for. Relationship with God. Now that relationship has been broken through sin. And so sinful men and women, having this desire, having this need, having this designed nature for God, run around in their sinfulness and look for a place to latch on. Look for a place to belong. Look for a place to find what they were made for. I mean, have you ever wanted to invest yourself in something bigger than yourself? Have you ever wanted to to really be connected to something beyond you? Is is this something that you feel or, or have felt? You see it, I mean, you see it almost comical ways. If you have eyes to look for it, you see this longing in people in just ways that are, that are practically hilarious. From little hobby groups, you know, you got the skateboarders, the snowboarders, the mountain climbers, the chess players, okay, or whatever they might be, all right? And they, they have this group, and they're, they're trying to find other people that are, that are connected with them. And we might laugh at some of them, those nerdy chess players. I'm one of them. I like to play chess, okay, easy. But you might... You might just think, what's wrong with these people? But we do it too. You do it too. Political parties? Hmm, what about that? I'm a whatever. And we fight to defend it. And we, we have this group that we belong to. Music groupies, okay, you know, this band or that band. I think the thing that is most striking to me, and I am not trying to, to pick on anybody, okay, so I'm, 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 not, I'm not thinking anybody in the room, believe me. But professional teams, it's almost comical where we go. I mean, you see people, they're willing to practice. They do. They come to blows over their team, over their Ravens, or over their Steelers, or over their Eagles, or even over their Redskins. You poor people. I feel sorry for you. Just kidding. Just kidding. I know some Redskin fans in the room. There's even a Bengal fan in the room, I believe, right there, yeah. But if you think about it, though, I mean, I mean just, imagine, just think about what happens. An individual latches on to a protein, and it becomes so essential to who they are. They dress in their clothing. They cheer for them thousands of miles away looking into a small screen in the middle of the living room, and they cry out and tell the quarterback what he ought to do as if it's going to work. If you saw this, if you were an outsider coming to our world and seeing what happens on Sunday afternoons during NFL season, or even today as you're watching the NCAA tournament, I'll be there, i got a bracket, I'm rooting for teams, but if you watched us, you would think we were totally insane. What is wrong with them? People who are weeping because their team gets beat? And then they'll say this, we lost. As you sat in your living room, stuffing your face, watching the game, we lost. No, we didn't do anything. 
You sat there, they fought, they lost, you observed. Now, what is that about? Seriously, what is that about? See the truth. See the design of God. See the thumbprint of the Creator. I'm telling you, He has made His nature obvious for us to see. He has placed His fingerprints upon His creation. If we have eyes to look, if we have ears to hear, we see Him throughout our world revealing His character and revealing our design. We do that because we long to belong. We latch on to a team, a hobby, a a political party, a movement, whatever, because we long to belong to something bigger than us, and there's only one thing that will satisfy. I feel sorry for the person who who has that ladder against a wall, and they're climbing and climbing and climbing to fill this need. And they wake up at 40 or 50 or 60 years old, hopefully, maybe, and they realize they got the ladder leaning against the wrong thing. And our sinful nature, if you see what happens, sin causes us to shrink down into these like claustrophobic closets where we fill our lives with things trying to meet this need in this little room trying to meet this little need that I have in me that's never going to work it's never going to work it's very clear that we need rescued it is very clear to those who have eyes to see who have ears to hear that man needs rescued And that's why we have the Word of God given to us through the Spirit of God to point us to the Son of God so that we can be children of God. This is God's plan. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me, would you? Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to talk today about, continue our talk about the fact that we have been made alive. We've been made alive, and today we're going to look at our brand new citizenship, who we are in Christ, who you are if you are in Christ. These things that we're looking at in chapters 1, 2, and 3 from the book of Ephesians are all true of all people who are in Jesus. If you are in Christ, everything in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is true of you. These aren't things that you are to long for or try to place in your life. These are things that are true of you. They're part of your new nature. In Ephesians 2.5, let's look at it. It says, even we were dead in our trespasses, God, from verse 4, made us alive together with Christ. And it's by grace that you have been saved. Grace unmerited favor, meaning there's nothing I can do to earn it. I can't work my way towards it. I can't make myself more worthy of it. It is only a gift of God, and it has saved me. God's grace has saved me, has brought me back to life. We saw clear back in Ephesians 2.1 that we are born dead in our sins. And so we worked our way to verses 8 and 9. We should read them because they're that important, even though we're not going to really... Dive into these two verses. They're that important. You should memorize Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's something that you should do to work God's Word into your life. It says, 
For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We see things in our life. We we see the fruit of sin. We see the fruit of this claustrophobic closet that we we try to meet this need for connection in our lives. We see the fruit all around us. Sin, divorce, debt, death. It's all in an effort. It's in an effort to latch on to something bigger than us. That something isn't a something, it's a someone. It's the Lord Jesus. What I want to look at today is found in verses 19, 20, 21, 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. This is the conclusion really, this, that we've worked towards this moment, I believe, in the Spirit of God's mind. This is kind of a, a, a climax, the first of many climaxes that we're going to have in Ephesians. So this is a very important section. Let's read it at verse number 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. That is a great summary of what we've heard all through chapter 2. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Great news. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now let me just, I want, I want to start out with something. I, I want to answer a thought that's going to come in your mind before you even think to think it, Okay? Because I want to tell you where I'm headed. Where I'm headed today is the reality that the church of Christ, the the church of God, this being one of many, is a very special organism. This is a unique gathering of people. And there is none like it. There is no club, there is no place, there is no gathering that matches what this represents. There are many of these gatherings that are meeting right now throughout Berkeley County, throughout West Virginia, throughout the United States, and all over the world. They all meet for this purpose. And there is something significant here, and we're going to see it in this passage, and we cannot miss what this is. This is the gathering of God's people. And it is significant. But I know what people think. I know what comes in your mind. Because I've been in that seat. You think that I think that the church is a big deal because I'm a pastor. I mean, after all, if I was a lemonade salesman, I'd stand before you and tell you that my lemonade is the very best in all the world, right? I would tell you that over and over and over. Come to my stand. I got the best lemonade in town. There's no lemonade like this lemonade. It's the coldest. It's the freshest. It's the best. You see, we're so used to salesmen. And I got nothing against you if you sell things. That's fine. But we're so used to it that we are now suspect 
and cynical often. But let me just tell you from my own experience, that's all I can speak to before I come to the Word of God. I want you to know, I don't believe in the church because I'm a pastor. That is not true. I won't let you think that about me. I don't believe in the church because I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, I'm a pastor because I believe in the church. And there is a difference. There is a difference. I wasn't born a pastor, okay? There was a time in my adult life that I wasn't a pastor. There was a time when I was a person who was part of a church just like you. And through the discipleship of other men in my life, and through the declaration of God's word, as the gospel was proclaimed, as truth was proclaimed into my heart, I became absolutely convinced that this gathering of believers, as messed up as it can be, as damaging as it can be to some people, I know, as, as, as difficult as this gathering can be for some, I came to realize that there was something significant here, that God used this organism in a special way. And as I understood that, God placed a call on my life. It's, it's a unique call. Not everybody's called to that. But God placed a call onto my life to invest my life in the local church. But see, I believed in the church before I was a pastor. Now, we attach ourselves to a lot of different things. It hasn't always been the church. And it's funny how we can find things. I've, I've got evidence here of maybe the most ridiculous thing I ever can attach to myself, okay? Now, this is an official document. Carla, do you recognize this? No? This is an official docu a document from Kaiser High School declaring that standing before you is a member of the Loyal Order of Chimps. Did you know that? That's right. When I was a senior in high school, I declared myself a, a member of the Loyal Order of Chimps. Me and about 400 other students at my high school. It's this stupid organization at my high school. And this one team, it was a joke club. It was a joke club. And all we did as a club in the Loyal Order of Chimps was do one thing. You know what it was? Get the certificate and a picture in the yearbook. That's it. That was all it was about. It was us standing there on the front steps of our high school, everybody doing this like a chimp with one big picture. You all could be members of the Loyal Order of Chimps. For just $19.99, you could... No, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> now, here's why I throw that up there. You see, unbelieving people, the, the pagan world, they view... Us gathered right now as a body of believers is not much different than the loyal order of chimps. It's not much different than that. I remember one time I was a young man that I thought came to Christ. I thought I led him to Jesus. And he walked away from the Lord a couple years later when he said this to me. He said, you know, Lil, some people have football. Some people have the Democratic Party. Some people have skateboarding. That isn't exactly what he said, but it was something just like that. He said, you got the church, and that's fine for you. That's fine for you. I just don't want anything to do with it. 
You see, in his mind, it was just a club. It was just something that we do. That's not what the passage is going to show us. It's a brand new citizenship, verse number 19. I want you to see nine things that are now true of you. In Christ, these things are now true of you. And I can say that, I can use that word you and mean it plurally for the whole group, or I can mean it singularly for you, singular, because it is true of all people. These things are in common for all people who are in Christ. First of all, we're going to see we have a common home. We are all fellow citizens. Verse number 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Citizenship has always been a big deal in in different communities. It's always been a big deal. It's growing into a larger deal in our country today. We can understand that. In this day, it was a huge deal, whether you were a citizen of Rome or not. But what has been developed here throughout this passage is, Paul was writing to people who were separated from God. They had nothing to do with God. But now he says, you are fellow citizens. You have a new home, folks. When you come to Jesus, God makes you new. He makes you a new creature. And now you are no longer a citizen of this earth. You don't belong here. You don't really fit here. You're an alien here. You're a stranger here. I remember in some of my earlier days in Jesus trying so hard to fit into the world. Trying to fit. And I just couldn't understand why I couldn't make it work. And so I try to live a little bit one way, sort of like the world's pattern, and I try to live a little bit the other way, kind of like Jesus' pattern, and it just didn't work. See, we are citizens now of the kingdom of God. If you're in Christ, you've been made a new creature, and part of that new creature is a new citizenship. You have a new home. You have a new home. You are no longer a stranger to God. You are no longer an alien to God. And we long, we long for that completion. I'll challenge you, each one of these things now, they are necessarily true of you. However, the backside of that necessary truth is this. You must evaluate your life. With each one of these steps, you must evaluate your life. So I ask you this question. How well do you fit into the world? How well? Jesus said we are to be in the world, but what? Not of it. In the world, but not of it. Paul said, in fact, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer, you know what it is? Persecution. 1 Timothy chapter 6. How well do you fit? Now, that doesn't mean you've got to be a jerk. That doesn't mean you've got to go around and you know, purposely not fit. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying wear clothing and talk in a way that, that you know, instantly just removes you from the culture. I'm not saying that. But as the Spirit of God works in your heart, and I ask you this question, evaluate your life. How well do you fit? Because we are called aliens and strangers in this world world i remember one time talking with a young man and he was talking about this battle in his life that that he didn't put it in these words but i did 
He was trying to live in the world and live in Christ. And I said, dude, you can only straddle that fence for so long because it keeps getting higher and you keep getting more and more uncomfortable. Think about that illustration, what that means. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God. What else? We have a common home. We have a common identity. Notice what it says here. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. I love this truth. We have a common identity. When you come to Christ, God does a supernatural work and makes you a saint. Now the Catholic Church has taken that and twisted it that we don't understand what it means anymore. What it means is this. You stand before the Lord. Your identity is holy before Him. And we have a common identity. Our identity in Christ is that of holy. When God sees you in Jesus, He sees you as righteous. He sees you as completely righteous as His Son. And that is wonderful truth after I talked after my last point. When I challenged you about are you living in the world or are you living in Christ, some of you were convicted. I know. But let me comfort you. God sees you as a saint. As a saint. Listen to Hebrews 10.10. It says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. We have been sanctified. You know what that word sanctified means? It means saint made is what it means. By the will of God, you have been made a saint in Christ. That is your identity. I don't care what your past includes. I don't care what you did when you were younger. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you're struggling with today. I don't care. God has declared you his child if you are in Christ and you are a saint before him. Now there's a challenge to this. Some people hear that, and this is what they say. Well, Pastor Lowell, if that's the case, well then, I'll just live any old way I want to, man. If I'm declared righteous for the Lord, if I'm a saint, then I can just live in, I can do whatever I want to, and then I'm forgiven. You understand that logic, right? Well, Romans 6 addresses that. And it says, by no means. In the low version, that would be, ain't no way. That can't happen. You know why? Because if you are a saint, then the Spirit of God is in you, and He changes your want to. He changes your want to. Remember over here, I said, Pastor Lowe, I can do any old thing I want to. Remember that? The Spirit of God changes your want to. That's part of Him making you alive. You're a saint in Christ. You're His. You are uniquely righteous before God. Not by your own effort. Not by your own work. Not by the, the works of righteousness. You could boast then. No one in heaven is going to say, Oh God, I got here because I was so good. Oh God, I got here because I did so many wonderful works. 
Everyone in heaven says, Jesus, you're the only reason I'm here. There is no boasting in heaven. There's only pointing to him because he made us a saint. Continuing on. And we are members of the household of God. You know what this is? We have a common family. We have a common family. And I tell you, that's a good truth for a lot of people. I'm not the only person in my family to put my trust in Jesus, but I was one of the first. I was one of the first. And I know that there are people in this room that you're one of the only ones. You're a follower of Christ, and your biological family, they want to do with Jesus. Listen, you have a common family now. And it is the body of believers. We are now, we are all called the sons of God. Galatians chapter 4, you should turn there. Galatians chapter 4 speaks about this. I'm going to read verse 6 in just a minute. That we are all members of God's family. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's that same spirit that changes our want to. He changes our want to. And when he comes and indwells us, when he comes and lives in us, we now, finishing the verse, cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. My dad's getting along in years. And it's funny, as your dad gets older and approaches death, for some of you, he's recently crossed that bridge. You long for him, don't you? You long for him. Strange thing about humans. I've talked with men and women who had wicked dads. Wicked dads. And they still long for him. They still long. Often they long for what could have been. Or they long for what should have been. But the longing is there. It's the thumbprint of God. We are are called to be part of the family of God. God. You can speak to God as your father now. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. That because the Spirit of God indwells you, you are now a son or a daughter of God and call Him Father. There's no grandchildren of God. There's no nephews of God. That doesn't exist. There's only sons and daughters of God. Are you in that relationship? Do you seem that way? Now let me just say this, all along here I've got little things I want to say, little parentheses, okay, and some I'll say and some I won't have time, but let me say this, often when you hear people like me talk about this being the family of God, there instantly comes up this expectation that cannot be met. So let's be careful here, okay, let's be careful. What do I mean by this? Do I mean that Centerpoint Bible Church, if it's working, if it's a good church, When you're all together, it's going to be like, you know, when you were 10 years old and you're all in your living room and your grandmother's there and she just made you a nice hot apple pie and your family's all around and you're singing carols to somebody playing on the piano and it's just such a lovely moment. 
That's how people get this idea when we say that we're the family of God. They're like, well, wait a minute. I'm mad at her. She did something wrong to me. He's not very nice. This isn't a good family. I want out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Newsflash. We still live in sinful bodies. This will finally be fulfilled when we are redeemed from this body of flesh. Who will save us from the wretched men and women that we are? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the last verse of Romans chapter 7. Right now, all we get is a taste. All we get is a taste of what is coming. That's what we're waiting for. So be careful of your expectation here. I've seen people say horrible things about the bride of Christ because of unrealistic expectations because we are the family of God. We are. But ultimately that means we have a relationship with the Father. Our horizontal relationships, they are different and they are being redeemed and they are moving towards a God-honoring relationship, but they're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. So lower your expectation. It's funny, we give ourselves a lot of grace, don't we? We hold everybody else to this high expectation. We give ourselves an out, but we expect perfection from everybody else. That's not family. But it is one cool thing about family. So this afternoon, okay, we all head back to my house. Not we all, okay? But my family head back to our house, okay? Sorry, ladies, but Nancy will be slaying away in the kitchen, okay? She'll be getting something ready to eat. Dad, me, I'll be back in the bedroom kind of like, you know, man, I'm tired, putting on, changing my clothes and all that kind of stuff. I'll walk back down the hallway. Everybody's laying there in the living room, kind of sprawled over each other, laughing, having a good old time. And you know what? I won't wear this. I won't wear this. I've on sweatpants, a t-shirt. I can just relax. Just relax and just be myself, right? Why is that? Why is that? Because there's something special about being together as a family. Isn't there? And there'll be a day, listen, when our Father in Heaven will call And all the children of God will be brought into the presence of Jesus. And everything will be made right. Our bodies will be redeemed. We'll know as He knows. We'll see as He sees. I look forward to that day. Right now, I just get a taste. We're all in the household of God. Built on the foundation of the the apostles and the prophets. I'm going to cram these two together just for sake of time. We have a common heritage and a common history. You know that? You and I, in Jesus, we now are adopted into this common heritage and this common history. I now have the heritage of, of what is built upon this foundation. This whole thing that's being built up, this body of Christ, this group of believers, is built on this foundation. And I also have the history of the apostles and the prophets. You know what? I do have a godly heritage now. I do. 
Listen, I have family members. I'm embarrassed to tell you the things that they did. I don't want to tell you about my family tree. It's embarrassing when you go up a step or two. Is yours that way? Your looks tell me, yeah, I'm not the only one. It gets pretty ugly pretty quick, doesn't it? And I can remember being in that seat before I understood the truth of my common heritage. I can remember sitting out there and honestly being envious. I'd be envious. Because they'd bring some speaker, they'd bring some speaker up here and they'd set him up front and he'd say, my great, great, great grandfather was a Christian and my great, great, great grandfather was a Christian. And go down this list. You know, it's like their father was like Martin Luther or something. I don't know. His long history of heritage. And I'd sit there, man, I don't have that. I got an adulterer. I got a, I got a messed up woman. I got a dude that beat his family. That's my heritage. Oh, that's a dead man's heritage. That's the heritage of a corpse. That's a line of dead men. I've now been brought into this foundation, this heritage, this history. And now I've got a heritage I'll brag about in Christ. I got men and women who have poured into me now. I've got men who have invested in me personally. And they're not my dad, and they're not my uncle, and they're not my grandfather, but they're my friend, and they're my brother in Christ. And I'll tell you their names. Their names are Mark and Van and Todd and Kurt. And their names are Dean and Billy and Brock. These are men in my life, and other people too, but I'm going to stop there. These are men in my life who invested in me now. And that's my heritage. That's who we have in Christ. That's what God invites us to. Brothers and sisters. Heritage. A history. I don't look at that dead man's past anymore. When God made you alive, He adopted you. He placed you in this body of believers. And now, you've got a common heritage, a common history. Parentheses. Or do you? We've got to ask that question, don't we? Or do you? You see, we give ourselves a lot of grace and we hold everybody else to a very high standard. Do you have a heritage? Now you do, in Christ, your identity is that of a heritage. But I ask you, have you opened up your heart? Have you opened up? Now this is how most of us live, okay? Uh, don't come close, you'll hurt me. That's the words of a dead man. Have you opened up your heart to other people? Opened up your heart that you could be grafted into their heritage? Have you? Some of you say, yeah, I did once and got burned. Oh, now wait a minute. Back up a second. God's mercies are new every morning. We now have his nature. We're new in Christ. I'm to bring new mercies to the morning. Open up your life 
Open up your life to other people that maybe, that maybe you might invest in each other and have that same heritage. Moving along, and this might be the most important one. We now have a common allegiance. Notice what it says. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You should turn there, okay? I'm going to reference it in just a minute. But it speaks of this reality that all that we build is built upon Jesus. I'll say a word about the cornerstone. Okay, I'm not a builder. Okay, I've got a shed to prove it. Um, but the reality is, when building, okay, especially in this day, the most important element of this structure was called the cornerstone. I think maybe in our world, okay, that we might understand this better, you might say the foundation. And what I've learned in my limited building experience, if you mess up the foundation, the whole structure is ruined. I can remember thinking, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not quite a 90-degree angle. It's not quite perfectly square, but it's not a big deal, right? And all the builders are going, oh, man, where does this go? It goes to my shed is where it goes, okay? Four-by-eight sheet of plywood, i got to cut it diagonally, okay? You know what I'm talking about, right? The foundation matters. The foundation matters. Jesus Christ, he is our now, he is now our allegiance, our common allegiance. And so we build there. We build there. Everything else, second, third, I don't even know what number to give it, far below. We have one allegiance to Jesus. One allegiance only to him. They brought the apostles in. They said, don't you dare talk about Jesus anymore. Don't you talk about Jesus. You talk about Jesus again. This is Acts chapter 4, paraphrase. You talk about Jesus again, we're going to beat you. They walked out. And they said, what are we to do? We will obey God rather than man. This is, I will be allegiant to Christ. Careful what you build upon. Careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We have a common allegiance. I challenge you and call you to build upon Jesus in your life. Okay, I'm going to hit this last one, and then I'm going to be done. I'm probably not going to get the last two, but common purpose. That's our last thing here. Notice what it says. In whom the whole structured structure that is being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I want to talk for a minute here about our common purpose. Our common purpose. We're now joined together like this structure. It's interesting, I didn't have time to really hit it, but it's interesting what the what the Spirit of God does here. It speaks of a city. And then, and then it speaks, uh, it, it moves towards this home now where, where God is dwelling. And we are now all joined together in this purpose. And I want to challenge you with this idea. I've said this to you before as a body, but listen to it again, and maybe you missed it the last time. I ask you, what purpose in your life, 
What purpose is there in your life that you can't do better in heaven than what you can do now? Think about this. What is there that you'd be a whole lot better off doing in heaven than doing on earth? Pastor Billy and the praise team, sorry, we'll worship better in heaven. Pastor Brock and the rest of the focus teachers, sorry, we don't need you in heaven. Pastor Lowell, there'll be no need to do this in heaven. We will worship better, learn better, fellowship better. We will serve better. We will glorify better. We will, we will, be, we will encourage one another better. We will obey better. We will honor God better. There's nothing in all of the Bible that we can't do better in heaven than what we can on earth except for one thing. And you know what it is, right? You know what it is. And that is to be an ambassador for Christ. We have this one purpose. This We're all joined together now in this one purpose towards building this holy temple, this dwelling place for God. Where does God dwell today? In believers. In believers. That's where He dwells. We have this one common purpose of pointing people to Jesus. And listen, here's the reality. There is nobody better. There is nobody better to point to Jesus, to be an ambassador for Christ, to tell people about the saving grace of Jesus in your world. Nobody better but you. I'm telling you, you, you could arrange for me to come meet your people at work. You get all excited. Pastor Lowell is going to come and talk to the guys in my office. And you can bring me in and I'll walk in there with my big Bible underneath my arm. How you doing? I'm Reverend McDonald. And what do they all think? Oh, great. Who's this wacko, right? I know. I know that. That's okay. The world thinks we're idiots. They think I'm the most foolish of the whole bunch. That's okay. But you have an audience you have an audience. The marketing word out there calls it a platform. You've got a platform that I don't have. But don't worry. i got a platform you don't have. We have a platform to bring people to the opportunity to respond to God's grace. How people ask me, Pastor Lowell, what's your church do for outreach? Hey, that's a good question. It's a good question. Let me tell you the best answer. You know the best answer? We leave this building. That's what we do for outreach. We leave this building every day at noon, every Sunday at noon. And we go out into the world and we are ambassadors for Christ. I don't see any place in Scripture where the church body all gathers together and all goes out and does evangelism. I don't see that in Scripture. I see the body of Christ coming together and being built and equipped in Him and then shot out of here like an arrow. And you go flying out into your world and you tell your world in your platform all about Jesus. That's our common purpose. It's the, 
It's the only thing that we do better here than we will in heaven. I want to just call you to three things today just to conclude. First of all, in your intimacy with Christ, understand that the world is trying to press you. You feel it? The system of this world is trying to press you into its mold. They're trying to press you. They're trying to suppress you. They're trying to depress you. They're trying to make you into the image of this world. I feel it. I know it. I see it. So do you. It is why I must maintain my intimacy with God. I must. I feel sorry for some believers. I feel sorry for some because they'll come to me. They're so broken over their sin. People will come to me. They're so bro- they'll weep practically. So broken over their sin. They're repentant over their sin. And, and I, I'll, I'll listen to them and I'll, I'll try to be a comfort to them. Try to tell them about Jesus. And what he's done. And then they hobble away. Broken down by the system of this world, limping, straggling away. In my heart, I wonder. I know they're repentant. I know they're repentant. But are they intimate with God? Do they have intimacy with God? Because without intimacy with God, without, without that intimate relationship with God, repentance does nothing. It does nothing to maintain that I'll continue following after Him. Oh, it'll, it'll restore my fellowship. It'll restore me back to that relationship with the Lord. But if I don't have intimacy with God, I am helpless in the next battle. So I wonder, as they hobble away, do they have intimacy with God? Secondly, remember, the world's trying to press you, right? The world's trying to press you. This is why we must press through. We have to press through and have community with other believers. Paul said it this way. Do not be misled. Don't be a fool. Bad company corrupts good character. If all we have in our life are people who aren't following after Christ, we will struggle. We will struggle. We must have community with other other believers, that is. Let me just do a quick little advertisement for what happened down the hallway today. Today we had men's focus group down there. Ladies were in the library. Pastor Brock had a, a mixed gender group down the hallway here. But I was in this one. I was in there with the men. And there were men in there encouraging one another, challenging one another, sharing with one another. And I just, I just sat back in my seat and just looked over the landscape of the room. As five tables of men were interacting about God and His Word. And I thought, this is it. This is, this, this, is the, this is the moment. This is community with others. Now, it's not the only place it happens. I know that. I know that. 
But it is a place. It is a place that it happens. And I already, already talked about influencing in your world. That's what God has called us to be. An ambassador for Christ where you are at. Now as our praise team goes up here to lead us in another song, I want you guys to work your way up here if you would. I want to say this. You know, the reality is every time, every time we open up God's word, a few things happen. Okay, it's just, it's the, it's the supernatural ma- nature of God's word. You'll be encouraged, okay? You'll be encouraged, that's, that's by design. You'll be encouraged, we're all saints, we're all, we're in the, we have the, we have the relation with the Father, we're, in, we're all commonly in this family. You'll be encouraged. But if God's spirit is working, you'll also be challenged. You might even be rebuked in your spirit, That's the word that the Bible uses. I want to say this. Remember God's grace. Maybe you've been messing it up. Maybe maybe you haven't been maintaining your intimacy with Christ. Maybe. Maybe you are so far in the world that you're actually of the world and you recognize it today. Maybe. Maybe it's something else. But there ain't no maybe for this. God's grace invites you back to Him. And James says, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. So cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's what James says, okay? And draw near to God, and He will draw near to you.